Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hi everyone and welcome to today's ITAM Review Podcast. I'm Rich Gibbons and joining me today from Flexera is Kim Wines. So hello Kim, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Not too bad at all, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Um, I know you're. I know you're busy, so it's always appreciated. Um, so for everyone out there, um, today we're going to primarily we're going to kick off by talking about containers, uh, you know, a, a proper hot topic. But before we get into that, uh, if you want to, you know, introduce yourself, tell people who you are, and, and all that kind of thing, I think that'd be a, a great place to start. Great, thanks. Yeah, so I've been with Flexera about uh, coming up on two and a half years here, I think it is now. Um, And I joined, or two years actually, I joined Flexera from RightScale. So two years ago almost, uh, Flexera acquired uh, RightScale, which worked in the cloud management space. Um, And since joining Flexera, I've been looking over several areas, but generally around kind of our bigger picture strategy, cloud strategy, and thought leadership um, for the company as a whole. And, um, you know, my experience with containers dates back now probably about six years ago, five, six years ago, uh, when I was working at RightScale. We were a, a startup and we were moving our SaaS application um, into Docker containers. And we went through that whole experience. And as part of doing that, uh, we also, I was running marketing at the time, we did a lot of um, external discussion about what that was like and what the benefits were and what the challenges were of going through, being in the trenches in the move to containers. And of course, now as we move to, you know, as I look at Flexera as a whole, we're looking not just at containers as they relate to our cloud environments where they're, you know, very well understood and accepted, but how do containers relate to things like ITAM and software asset management? And what do they mean for us as ITAM managers? Definitely. And it's something that we've seen you know, certainly over the last couple of years, I, you know, at conferences, comments on articles, when we, when we talk to people that they're, they're starting to hear about containers, they're, they're one of those things, as you say, you know, they, they've been around for longer than people might think, but, but I think now they're reaching that a critical mass point almost where they're, they're no longer contained, no pun intended, just in the the kind of DevOps team or or something, but they are becoming more mainstream. So we're starting to see people uh, ask if we can, you know, talk about them more. What are they? How do you manage them, etc. So I I guess a great place to start would be with, you know, what is a container? Because sometimes, you know, you can get, get carried away talking about these things, but actually no one really knows what they are. So I guess uh, not to put you on the spot, but if you uh, <laughs> if you want to succinctly explain what containers are, that would be marvelous. 
Yeah, and I think we shouldn't get too down into the technical weeds here, but I think analogies are always good. And, you know, if you've ever, guys have ever heard of the company Docker, which is uh, the one that sort of popularized, I would say, uh, the current iteration of containers, they really use a, a picture, an image of a cargo container, right? So if you think about a cargo container, it's sort of a fixed size and you can stack them on a cargo ship and then you can offload them at the port and you can uh, put them on a train or you can put it on a semi truck and you can move that bit of goods, whatever it is, around the world through a bunch of different means of transportation. And so if you think from a technical perspective, containers in the world of technology are kind of like that in that a container can hold a bit of an application or a piece of code and then allow you to move that container around both from your development environment to your production environment to your staging environment, move it around between environments, maybe between different servers in your data center or different virtual machines in your data center, move it into the cloud, move it between clouds. So it kind of creates that standardized package uh, that makes it very easy to uh, move around. Now, the challenge uh, with that is uh, there's been a lot of tools that have been created to put things in containers, which is why it's really taken off with all these DevOps folks, right? To help them build these containers in a, in a repeatable way. Um, and originally they were kind of designed for modern architectures like microservices where we you know break up applications into little pieces that talk to each other and then we can put some of those pieces into different containers we can deploy those containers out and we can scale those containers up and down you know so if i'm google right who developed a lot of technology around containers and i'm running a big google search service and i get a lot of demand you know, in the evening, for example, when people come home from work and they start searching for stuff on Google, I can scale up all of the containers that contain all of those different microservices that help support my Google search. Um, so that's how it started, but it's been interesting because it's been evolving and people have now been starting to use containers as a method to lift and shift more traditional workloads into the cloud. And in fact, some of the, the cloud vendors are trying to make that easier, Google being one of them, but others as well, so that you can take what was a more traditional on-prem application or a piece of a more traditional on-prem application and put something in a container and then allow you to move it to the cloud. Now, the challenge with that is that container with that traditional application probably contains software licensed software. And now our ITAM team's eyes start to open up a little bit more and they're like, hey, maybe that's something I need to pay attention to. Definitely. I think, you know, the, the things I've seen match up with that perfectly that, uh, you know, if you talk to the people who've been running containers for, for, for years, like you say, you know, DevOps, those kind of people, you know, they would say uh, that the only things in the containers are, are bits of code. There's no need to worry. You know, it's open source software or it's proprietary software. Um, you know, don't worry about it. 
but but then what we've seen is that actually, as with most things, you know, the the way that technology is used isn't necessarily the use it was invented for, and and that lots of, of big legacy applications that are you know, they're difficult to install or they're very sensitive to hardware changes or something like that. So someone's gone, oh, if I put that in a container, it makes my life easier. You know, I, I could, like you say, I can move it around, don't have to reinstall it every six months or, or whatever the problem might be. But as we've seen in various other areas, then you get into that bring your own license. You know, if you're you've got some Oracle or some IBM or some Microsoft and it's moving up into the cloud or between clouds all of a sudden one way or another there's probably a non-compliance issue that's popped up there um, and I think it's in that scenario at the moment where the people that are using it don't realize there's a potential problem and ITAM, the people who would be able to identify the potential problem, maybe don't necessarily know how people are using them. Uh, so I guess that visibility is maybe the trickiest thing of, you know, even if you know you should be managing them, how do you go and find them? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because... You know, I started out my career in QA, and I think one of the, the mantras there, which probably applies to ITAM just as well, is trust but verify. <laughs> you know, so, hey, we're not using, and I've talked to companies who say, oh, we have a rule that you're not allowed to put licensed software in a container. Again, trust but verify. I would doubt that, that every container is completely free of licensed software. But the challenge is, to your point, that our traditional means of finding the software, our traditional you know, agent base or agent list discovery, whatever different tools you're using, uh, almost certainly, unless they've been specifically modified for this, don't find what's inside the containers. And so that's where there has to be really a different approach um, to be able to discover what's out there. And so this is where ITAM teams need to be looking at, okay, how do we need to adjust our, our processes, our tools, our approaches to make sure we're finding that software in containers. And as an example at Flexera, we had to, like our traditional agent-based discovery doesn't peer inside that container. So we've had to now modify to be able to find out what's happening in terms of containers. Right. And I mean, that, again, matches what I've seen where I've spoken to tool vendors from, you know, who've come to things from the other side, so from the cloud world first. And, you know, their, their general view is, well, there's no software in the containers. It's just code. So we, we've not got any way of looking inside them because we don't need to. Um, yeah, and, and that's at odds with what the cloud providers are actually doing, which is several of them are really encouraging people to use containers as a lift and shift mechanism to migrate workloads into the cloud. And so in that case, they're going to be packaging up the software that they're running on-prem 
and now now not only is it in a container but it's also in the cloud right and so we have to really get a lot smarter about this yeah um another question that, that i get asked quite a lot and and i used to be relatively dismissive of this as a question because i i used to be of the well there's no software in there one of the questions that we hear is you know containers they can appear and disappear and reappear quite quickly you know you can you can destroy them rebuild them etc so even if you've got a piece of software that's allowed to be in a container and you know that's all fine you know what happens if people are if you've got one license but okay. somebody's destroying and rebuilding this container you know 75 times a week yeah what how do we handle that right yeah <laughs> yeah that's a that's a high rate of change and and by the way this is true with cloud in general even if you're not containerized right so kind of the the theory of of both containers and of cloud and they they kind of go hand in hand a lot although you can and people are running containers on prem as well in in more private cloud environments but the idea is this idea that the way that we should have you ever heard of the the you know the cattle versus pets analogy um, kind of the okay well this is a common sort of devops analogy which is in the old world we created a server maybe it had virtual machines running on that server and we treated it like a pet meaning that we took very good care of that server to make sure that it stayed alive and up and running and if there was an issue we we patched it and we carefully fixed it to keep it running in the world of cloud and especially containers we treat it a little bit more like cattle and that's a little bit sad to say i think uh, but it, it basically means that let's say there's a problem with a particular cloud instance or cloud vm or a particular container the idea is we kill it and then we recreate it from scratch right so that we're always able to re-spin up that new instance and that new container and so you have this idea of of those changing in addition we have this idea of scalability so i gave the example earlier of google but let's imagine it in another industry i'm in a retail industry i'm doing e-commerce people come home in the evening or on the weekend and they start shopping and all of a sudden my e-commerce servers needs a lot more capacity so I need to spin up new virtual machines, cloud instances, containers, whatever I'm using to support that. And then just as importantly, when that load goes down in the evening or at night, late at night, I need to bring that back down. So we have this idea of much more fluctuation going on in our resources obviously on-prem we always have that we have desktops coming and leaving or devices as as people come and go and we have servers coming and going in the data center but potentially not to the same extent that we might see in these new environments so it means that our first of all we have to understand from a licensing perspective what are the rules right because 
we know all of these software vendors have very specific and often complicated rules about, for example, when we can use things in virtual machines and how we need to count CPU cores against that. Well, similar things exist in the cloud and similar things may exist within containers. So I think the first thing is really getting educated about what the actual constraints are from those software vendors. And then once we understand what those are, then we need ways to discover an inventory on potentially a much more frequent basis than we have been, right? Maybe it's not enough to look once a day. Maybe we need to be looking every hour, or every few hours, at least at these fast changing environments uh, to really see what those peaks and valleys look like so we can develop a strategy on how to deal with the software licenses that exist. Definitely. I think the, yeah, the, the licensing, um, you know, what it seems to be at the moment that, you know, vendors are basically saying, you know, the rules for virtual machines are the rules for containers but it feels to me at least a little bit like they're just waiting seeing exactly how are people going to use them what sort of situations are people going to find themselves in and then i would imagine in the next couple of years we'll start to see very container specific rules once they know the situations that they need to cover themselves for um so I think at the moment there's maybe um I think maybe the licensing will get more difficult over the yeah, next Yeah, they'll probably once they figure out how they can get more revenue out of it <laughs> essentially. So um an interesting stat. So we each year for the last nine years have done our state of the cloud survey, first is right scale, now as Flexera. And one of the questions we've been asking for about five years is about containers, uh, just because containers are often used aligned with the cloud. And, and we saw huge growth of the use of containers over the last five, six years since we've been asking these questions, to the extent now that two-thirds of the respondents are using Docker containers, which is the primary foundational technology and almost as many are using Kubernetes. Um, so if you guys have heard the term Kubernetes, which is also sort of a, what they call container orchestration. So think about a Docker as building those cargo containers and think of Kubernetes as being the thing that figures out how to stack them on the ship in the most efficient way, right? And how to add more containers and reduce containers uh, to scale. Um, so that's become, you know, while Docker is the underlying technology, almost everybody these days is using Kubernetes. And now we're seeing 60 plus percent adoption of Kubernetes. Now, at the same time, we're currently fielding a new survey on the state of ITAM, uh, which we'll be excited to share with you in a couple of months. But I'll give you one little early piece of data based on partial responses so far, we're about uh, halfway through fielding that, uh, which is two thirds of those organizations are using containers, only one third of ITEM organizations are doing anything to track 
software what's going on in containers. Oh, so yeah. that's, that's a gap. So that means probably that third may still be in, you know, the early days of figuring out what to do because we're all kind of in the early days. That other third, uh, the organization is using it and they haven't really figured out how they're going to weave that into their ITAM practice. So I think one sort of action item for everybody who's listening is to go, if you're not already uh, looking at containers, you need to go start talking to the tech folks, your architects and your DevOps teams and your cloud teams about um, how are we using containers and how are we um, managing our software licensing as it relates to those containers. I think that's a very important point that rightly or wrongly, the, the onus is probably on the ITAM team to go to them and, and ask about it. I think, you know, based on what we've seen over the years of virtualization and all these other technologies, I think if you, if you wait for them to come to you and say, oh, by the way, we've just started using this new technology, please can you get involved and tell us how to manage it? you're going to be waiting a long time and you know you need so you need to be proactive and go to them and say look you know i've listened to this podcast i know what it's all about now what are we doing about containers uh you know how how can we get involved uh, and, and i guess as well there's there's an art to how you do that because the you know the world of cloud moves much faster than, than on premises so I think that there's going to be a sort of meeting in the middle of, you know, if they're used to spinning up hundreds of containers every minute, every hour, whatever it might be, and you're used to a process that takes, you know, six days to get a new license approved to, to go into to somewhere, th those two worlds don't really fit together at the moment. So, so I, I think for ITAM, you know, I don't profess to know what the answer is at the moment, but there's a... A piece of work to be done of how can we do what we need to do but in a way that doesn't you know ruin everything that they're trying to do right so it doesn't slow the business down and yeah. i mean i think this is an interesting convergence because you know as itam professionals yeah we were trying to count licenses and be compliant with licenses but if you kind of roll it up to what it means to the business. It really means two things to the business. Number one is cost. How much are we spending and how can we optimize that spend and not spend money we don't have to do? And number two is risk, right? What's my risk associated with either license compliance and having an audit or what's my risk associated with um, not knowing what software I have and having it be end of life or having a vulnerability, you know, there's a number of risks associated there. So I think really thinking about how you can partner with the tech folks and the business to say, let's not just look at this from a lens of, you know, license compliance, although that's certainly one factor. Let's look at this from a perspective of how can we optimize costs and potentially save money and to what level of risk and how do we manage our risk associated with that. And then that becomes a way to, to kind of speak the executives uh, on the executives terms, right? Speak their language about the things that are important to them. 
Yeah, and you know, that that ties in with something that, that we've been talking about for a little while now. You know, the ITAM engaging with other stakeholders and you know, helping them so that they'll help you. And also, and I think particularly now with 2020 being like it is, you know, the aligning ITAM with business objectives, what is important to your C-suite right now and what can you do right now, you know, ra rather than you know things that might take three or five years to, to you know to reap rewards? You know, what can you do tomorrow or, or next week? And um, uh, you know, anything cloud or container related, uh, I think fits in there very well. Um, but what you were saying about vulnerabilities, you know, we see ITAM and security as being two you know, two departments that sit together or should sit together, you know, very well. And, and I think for me, for containers, security are going to want to know what's in them. You know, totally. And, and rather than them trying to figure it out themselves, if, if ITAM and security can work together, um, you know, that seems like a, a great place to forge some relationships and you know get that information for them right and and you know part of that risk is the vulnerabilities themselves the other part of that risk is sort of what's the currency or end of life of the the software that you're running because you know there are stats that basically show that a lot of times vulnerabilities are most associated with software that's out of date, right? Because it's not, if it's end of life or close to end of life, it's maybe not getting the same attention. Um, and so that's really important to get ahead of, right? To be proactive on, uh, to say, hey, let's see what's coming up that we need to refresh and how we want to refresh it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's what we see on premises that, finding those pockets of windows 7 or xp you know it, it security are the ones who need to know but itam are probably the ones who have got a better chance of of finding them right <laughs> and, and i think i think containers cloud it, it's the same um and i you know so with cloud you because know, a lot of the the data leaks that you see so many of them seem to come down to a an unsecured cloud you know bucket or cloud yeah. server um but of course you know you can't you can't secure what you can't see just as you can't manage what you can't see so that um security item combo um you know maybe maybe you've been able to to get by on premises without it but i, I think as more organizations go into the cloud, it seems like it would be more difficult to to, to not work with security and vice versa um, going forwards. Well, I think this whole, the changes that both containers and cloud are bringing is really an increased velocity of change, right? Things are changing more quickly, scaling up, scaling down, spinning up, spinning down. And then an increased like volume of, of just items and resources that we need to deal with. We don't even often call them assets in the cloud. We call them resources because it's not like a hard physical thing that we, we capitalize like an asset. Um, 
But if we think about that, it means that we really need to be evolving our practices, right? And to our practices in ITAM to really deal with this dynamic and fast-changing world. But I think the, the benefit for ITAM is it can really make you much more strategic in the organization, right? So let's talk about costs. So you mentioned how now with COVID, there's a lot of companies that are under cost pressures or trying to save money um, in any way they can because they've had to work from home. In some cases, their business is being impacted. And so as ITAM professionals, we can take our knowledge and expertise to help with that. So for example, um, you know, we have our normal software refresh cycles. Our big ones probably only happen every three years. But in between those three-year cycles, we may be buying additional software and we may be renegotiating. In some cases, companies are going back to vendors and trying to renegotiate. Well, going into that negotiation or deciding what to buy, if we don't really, if we haven't optimized our view of what we're using, if we haven't sort of found the waste and squeezed out the waste, then we're basically, you know, leaving money on the table that our organization could either recapture or avoid spending more on or reduce the growth of that additional contract. And so, you know, being able to point to, hey, you know, we saved $3 million either in actual savings, hard dollar or cost avoidance because we did this, that makes your organization more strategic, your career and yourself more visible within the organization. Totally. And, and I think you know, that's a, a bit of a recurring theme uh, this year that, you know, with, with organizations being you know, maybe less solid than they were last year and you know, all, all this kind of change, anything that, that you as an ITAM professional can do to, to show, look, you know, you, you need me around, you know, you need this team because we will, we will help get things, you know, get you back on your feet, turn things around. Um, I, I think that's really important. And, you know, it might be if you've just negotiated your, you know, your Oracle, your Microsoft, your enterprise agreements, etc. You know, there's not really much you can do about those for three, five years in, in many cases. But as you say, you know, the cloud is, is much more immediate. And I think even for organizations where they've got, you know, a FinOps team or cloud center of excellence or cloud economics team, whatever, you know, one of the kind of 97 different titles that, that those teams can have. I, I still think that ITAM brings something uh, additional and that those teams should work together. You know, they, yeah, they're coming totally. at them different angles. They've got different experiences, different views. Yeah, and we, we've worked with the cloud teams, the FinOps teams, and generally those people don't actually want to be doing that. They typically are technical, you know, sometimes it's like a cloud architect or, you know, a director in the infrastructure team or the cloud team. And what's happened is because we haven't had ITAM type teams involved, um, costs have just gone up and up and up. Right. And part of it is we're moving more workloads to the cloud. 
five years ago, you know, maybe six years ago, I used to talk to customers um, and say, hey, we need to be, you need to be thinking about costs. They'd be like, ah, I'm not really worried about it. It's not that big of a spend. Well, here's what's going on now is in, again, in our state of the cloud report, which by the way, if you go to flexera.com slash state of the cloud, all one word, you can download that report. Um, people are increasing their budgets on cloud like 40% year over year on average in that report. That's like the probably the fastest growing line item in IT budgets for many organizations other than maybe a brand new net new initiative. They're over budget by more than like 20 plus percent. <laughs> so they can't forecast it accurately either. So if you think that when you're growing at 40%, you're now getting into the millions of dollars ranges and you can't forecast it properly, that the, the CIO and CFO and IT finance don't sit up and take notice, they absolutely do. So they've kind of come back to the teams that are driving cloud, the cloud teams, and many of them don't even have FinOps, um, and saying, hey, you guys need to fix this and get this under control. And by the way, about a third of that cloud spend is wasted. So that's just money going down the tubes. That's really creating an impetus to do it, but they're kind of being forced to do it. It's not their sort of natural habitat, so to speak. Right. So this is where I think if you do have a, a cloud team or a FinOps team, just go ask to be a member of that team, you know, be a honorary member of FinOps, right? And start to watch what's going on, start to see what those processes are, how they're similar and how they're different than what you do. You know, you also have a role to play already with just the software running there, right? Bring, bring your own license, start to bring your expertise to play. I think a lot of those people would be incredibly happy to offload work to people <laughs> who are good at those processes and who think that way. And they'd rather go, you know, do their technical work that they want to do. Yeah. They're not super excited about that part of their job. They're just forced to do it because of the sort of runaway spend. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think you, what you say about them being technical you know, I, I've seen a few people where their answer to almost anything has been to to build something in Python. And yes. <laughs> and that that always makes me think, you know, if that's your first answer, then you know, you're coming at it from a, a different angle, definitely. Um, yeah, we've seen that in kind of the cloud cost management that that's often what happens because they assign like a DevOps engineer to get the cost under control. The first thing that they want to do is build something. And quickly that usually they realize what they got themselves into because the challenge is that um, on, on average, companies already use two public clouds, right? So you're getting two different cloud bills. Those bills can have millions or tens of millions of rows every month. They're being updated multiple times a day by the cloud providers. The formats of those bills keep changing um, they, as they evolve their services. And so it really becomes a never-ending you know, custom development task to keep up. 
Um, so that's why most companies have, you know, shifted to using, you know, commercial off the shelf tools that can kind of keep up with that level of change. The, uh, the other team that's kind of starting to get involved, so ITAM, I think, needs to be more proactive and say, hey, we want a seat at the table and not just wait for them to come to you, whether it's cloud containers or whatever it is. Uh, the IT finance teams or the controllers associated with these groups are starting to get involved as well. Um, but they have the challenge in that they're not as familiar with the technology side, right? Because the interesting thing on ITAM is you're bridging financial data and asset, or in this case, resource data in the cloud. That's really what we're talking about here. Because in the end, saving money in the cloud, right? The most important word in cloud is, is down and off. Meaning, you know, think about it like turning your thermostat down, turning your light switch off, your electric bill or your heat bill, or your oil bill goes down. Same thing in the cloud, right? Keeping on top of things on an ongoing basis to make sure we've right size, we haven't over allocated. And that is a, that's something that you have to keep on top of continuously. Um, in fact, it almost certainly has to be automated eventually. Um, so that's, I think, a role that ITAM is used to. And then they're used to working with the technical folks when they see, hey, we could be, we don't need these licenses over here because they're not being utilized and we could reharvest and reassign them. They're used to going to the technical folks, whether, you know, data center or desktop team and being like, hey, we need to deprovision that stuff or we need to right size it or we need to not be installing this version, but that version. And that's a very similar process and mentality you need in the cloud, maybe just at a different velocity and volume um, than what we're used to. Yeah, I, I think the, the ITAM history of, of processes and you know, governance lends itself very well. Um, and I guess you know, there's a chance that these other teams will end up Sort of reinventing the wheel and you know they'll, they'll work really hard for four years and come up with something that ITAM came up with you know, in, in the mid 90s right but from a, an all-up organizational perspective I, if ITAM gets involved it can it can you know reduce soft costs and speed things up as well yeah and, and create a seat at the table and I you know look this is important just existentially for ITAM professionals and ITAM teams, right? Because um, number one, there's only more things moving to the cloud, right? Number two, there's only more things moving into containers. We're still, I'd say, fairly early days in terms of container footprint, like how many you have and how much of your estate it's covering. But a lot of where that's starting and is in development with the intention to take that into production. So this is only going to grow. So this is like a must-have skill for an ITAM professional. And as these functions evolve, which you, as you described, they might evolve. We might see like merging over time, 10 years down the line between what these different teams are doing. You want to be in that position that's in demand that can work with those most modern technologies because that just puts you in the driver's seat from your career. You know, just like for an engineer, you know, having cloud experience increases your salary for an ITAM professional knowing about being 
you know, expert in cloud and containers not only makes you more valuable to your current company in terms of, you know, what you can get, opportunities you have, how you grow, uh, but it also makes you more valuable in the market as a whole um, and really gives you many more opportunities personally and professionally. 100% agree with that. I, I think, yeah, even if your organization aren't, you know, if they're one of the few, you know, and they're literally not using cloud and they're not using containers, they probably will be. And and even if even if somehow they never do, you know, everyone else will. So yeah, exactly. What's your career path? You know, what things do you do? You, do you need to learn? Um, and I, I think you know, so much of it is coming from the the cloud, the DevOps, that side of things. That you know, I mean. At some point in the future, you know, we'll probably do a similar podcast where we talk about not containers, but about serverless, you know, which is already the kind of you know, next version of, of the next version. Um, so the, there's always something else around the corner. And, yeah. and I 100% agree with you that you know, the more you know, you know the, the better. And, and, and if your company suddenly pivots and goes all cloud. Right. Yeah. You're ready for that. You're 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 the person adding value, right? You're the person talking about how I can help with cost savings in the cloud or risk reduction, etc. As well as you know our traditional software license view, you know, and the the analysts are redefining this as well. So we spend a lot of time talking to the leading analyst firms, whether it's Gartner, Forrester, IDC, about this, and they're redefining the role of asset management, right? And they're redefining it as dealing with all of these environments, right? Whether it's, of course, desktops and servers and devices, which we've had, cloud, containers, IoT, you know, Internet of Things for certain industries is becoming more and more important. By the way, there's software running there on those devices a lot of times. Um, so all of these different disparate environments. And then secondly, that license compliance is one little slice of the pie, right? It's risk reduction, it's better decision-making with data, it's cost optimization, you know, all of those things are really part of this broader role, um, more strategic role, I think, of ITAM and, and how, how people need to be thinking. 100%, yep. Uh, you know, again, it ties in with what we're, we're seeing and hearing, uh, you know, we were saying at our Wisdom EMEA conference in, in June that you know, ITAM needs to be, if it's not there already, building a relationship with, with the C-level execs. And if you've already got it, you know, strengthening it. And all those things you've mentioned there, you know, that's what the C-suite are primarily concerned with. You know, there's not many of them take a specific interest in license compliance. But overall, you know, risk, vulnerability, cost, that there's all these ways which you can, um, you know, you, you can kind of grow ITAM within, within your organization and become, you know, key for the next five, ten, you know, however many years. Um, and it's, it's the way forward, you know, it, it's, it's not going anywhere uh, as much as some people might might still want it to you know cloud is one way or another it's it's here um and i, I think 
you know, there's probably some people listening that are saying, you know, this is all well and good, but I'm busy enough as it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Why am I going to go and proactively ask for more work, basically? But yeah. I, I think it's it's important, you know, so you don't miss the boat going forwards. Um, and also, and I, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I, I would like to think that if you, you know, if you're getting involved in, in the cloud and the containers and that side of things, you know, you would be able to put together a strong case to the business. I need a cloud person in my ITAM team or you know, right. I need more resources or I need a tool or automation or, you know, it, it gives you fresh impetus to, uh, to get budget and, and, and to grow. Yeah. And especially if you're showing the value associated with that to the business, right? So, um, one thing I've been talking about on the cloud side, for example, is right now with people trying to cut costs, we talked about, you know, the renewal cycles on our big software vendors are very long. And so there may be some opportunity to avoid buying extra stuff. So that's great for ITAM to focus on. In cloud, if we can turn things off and find recover that 30% of waste and we can deliver, you know, millions of dollars to back to the company to reinvest in other initiatives or to apply to these extra things that have popped up because of COVID or to deliver savings, whatever it is, then that that's, you know, ROI that you can take to the organization to say, hey, you know, if we can, you know, get that resource or that investment, then we can apply that, we, you know, we can do this again and we can continue to deliver ROI. And, and that's how the CEO thinks. That's how the CIO thinks is for every dollar I invest in a particular function or initiative is what's the payback for that. And how do I decide between investing it over here or over there? And, and it, it's not about, oh, those guys are so overworked necessarily. <laughs> it's about what's the return I'm getting. And so to the, the extent you're becoming more strategic, both with the old traditional technologies and the new technologies, you're thinking about risk reduction, maintaining uptime, avoiding business services outages when everybody goes and works from home, reducing costs when, when the company is needing to bring their cost structure down. Those are things that make you strategic and make you valuable. Yeah, that's kind of what it what it's all about, really. You know, being being integral to the business and and bringing that value and showing, you know, if, if the company doesn't already see it, showing them why they've got an ITAM function and why it needs to be part of everything, you know, going forwards for for the long term. Um, and you know, I mean, th there's so much more we, we could say, but I, I think we'll we'll need to save it for. For another day, um, I, I've got a, a list of questions for next time already, so so don't worry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think th there's been some some great stuff there. It, it's always good when you know the the people on the podcast are both on the same page. You know, the, um, hopefully, that's given people some things to think about. You know, you can go away and look at maybe. You know, what, what you want to do throughout the rest of the year when it comes to cloud and containers, etc. Um, so with that, uh, you know, thank you very, very much, Kim. That was uh, fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Um, well, thank you for having me. 
no problem at all. Um, so, so yeah, you know, we'll, um, we'll we'll make the link to the the set of cloud report available in the in the article about the podcast as well. Um, and you know, to everyone listening, hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you all very much, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. So, goodbye, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.